Thank you, Pastor Brian. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, everybody, for praying for me. And thank you for praying for my family and being there for my family over these next several months. But today is Mother's Day, so I want to also say Happy Mother's Day. Um, Happy Mother's Day to all the moms and grandmas and great-grandmas, the women of the church. It's a wonderful day. Um, Mother's Day uh, is a significant day also for me because I also have a mother that I love. I have grandmothers that I love, so happy Mother's Day to my mom and grandmothers. And it's also significant because it was 24 Mother's Days ago that I went on my first date with my wife, Manda. So, and... Uh, the reason that I wore this suit is because this was the suit that I wore 24 years ago. <clears throat> when, I, when I met my wife and we were young and she had to take me back to her house to meet the parents. And this is the suit that I met her mom and dad in and then fell asleep on their couch in. And I was afraid that this suit might not fit, and I, I got into it this morning, and I'm like, oh, it still fits. And my beautiful wife said, well, remember when it didn't fit? <laughs> Today we are in the Gospel of John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. John chapter 1, it begins... By saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Nothing was made. Nothing Without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Will you pray with me? Father, unless you shed your merciful light into our hearts, then no life will come from our hearts and from our lives. So Lord, we are dependent right now and in the rest of our lives for your mercy and for your grace to fill us with your light, to open our eyes, to open our hearts to the beauty of Jesus, that we might see your beauty, that we might love you in adoration and in devotion like we just sang. Lord, I thank you that you have made us singing beings for in our singing, we can receive strength and healing and life and joy that you have offered to us. So Lord, we trust by your mercy that you will fill us with this life and this joy. Do what we cannot do, Lord. Make Jesus glorified in our, in our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. This is the first truth we must know about the Word. This is the first word, the last word, and the only word. The word was 
God is God and will forevermore be God. He is the same word that spoke the universe into existence in Genesis chapter 1. Everything and everyone that has ever been made was created by this word. All heavens and stars and skies and galaxies and planets have all been created by this word. All plants and animals and human beings and angels and any other celestial beings there may be have all been created by this word. For this word alone was not created, was not a God like some religions will claim, but this word is the God. Kind of like my wife, Manda, is not a Manda, but the Manda. (laughs) But in an infinite more valuable and powerful way, so too, this word is not a word, and a God, but this word is the word and the God of the universe who holds the world together by his powerful word. Do you believe that? The self-existing God, the second person in the triune Godhead, tri meaning three, un meaning unity, tri unity or shortened to trinity, the word that we get for trinity. This word is God the Son who created all things and without him, nothing was made that was made. And what John, the author of this gospel, as he followed Jesus for three years, it took him three years to figure out these truths. He wants us to know in the first five verses. This is the first truth that we must know and believe about the word. The word is God. The second truth that we must know and believe about the word is that the word became flesh. Look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. This word who is God humbled himself in the form of human likeness and became a man. Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, made himself nothing by taking very nature the form of a servant and being made in human likeness. Philippians 2. So Jesus Christ is in very nature divine and also in very nature human, the Son of God and the Son of Man. These two truths much must be held in tension and in harmony and unison with one another. The word who is God also became flesh. But then I ask, why does John use the term word? In the beginning was the word. Why not the light or the life or the truth as he would later use in this chapter? Or why not the Son or the Son of God or Jesus, the Christ, the anointed Messiah? Why does John use the word? And I think the writer of Hebrews gives us a clue. In the past, God spoke 
to us through the prophets, but now God has spoken to us through the Son. Or you can look at the the hundreds of references. For example, the word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Nathan. The word of the Lord came to Solomon, came to Elijah, came to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Jonah, Micah. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah and Haggai. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And to Israel through Malachi, the word of the Lord came. And who couldn't forget Moses? Moses set before them the word of the Lord. And over 300 times in the Old Testament, this phrase, word of the Lord, is used as opposed to only 19 times in the New Testament. But why? Because in the past, God revealed himself to us as the word, spoken through visible human prophets, which was absolutely a giving of God's grace. Do you believe that? But it was also absolutely insufficient. Therefore, God is now revealing himself to us by his son, who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, Hebrews 1.3. Grace in place of grace already given, verse 16 of chapter 1 of John. The word became flesh, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, which leads then to the third truth. Look at the rest of those verses. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have already received grace in place of grace given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is God himself and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. Therefore, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent by God into the world as the Word made flesh. Why? So that you and I could see. Jesus came so that we could see. What are we going to see? We're going to see the same thing that John saw. We will see his glory. Do you see his glory today? The Bible says in Habakkuk 2.14 that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What is glory? A little side note dangerous for me to do. What is glory? And glory is the the visible manifestation of God's holiness. Okay? What's God's holiness? His separability, his rareness. Do, Do you know why gold is the standard for value? Because of its rare quality, right? Its separateness. In the same way, when we say God is holy, what we are saying is, there is none like you. None. No, not one. So God is holy. His infinite value, his infinite worth, 
his infinite qualities, that's God's holiness. So what is God's glory? All of that being displayed so that you and I can see. That's God's glory, and it's in Jesus Christ. To his servant Moses, God revealed his glory by passing in front of him visibly and audibly announcing the Ten Commandments, the law of God. What a spectacular day. But now John says that God is being even more gracious than in the days of Moses in revealing his glory to the world. He is now revealing his glory through his one and only son, Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory. And this is the main point of the chapter, that Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, came into the world as a human being so that we could see. And we would see his glory. And again, at the end of John, in John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written that you might believe in the Son of God and by believing have life in his name. That's the point of the whole book of John. In him was life. And that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And good news, the darkness has not overcome it. There was another time in the beginning when God looked out over the darkness and said, let there be light. And then after forming the heavens and the earth, God scooped out some dirt, breathed into it and formed man into his image. This life was full of light. And the first man, Adam, was able to see the glory of God in a capacity that none of us have ever been able to see God or enjoy God's presence. But then, when Adam rebelled against God, sin entered the world and everything and everyone died. Humanity could no longer enjoy or even desire God. And that is what death means. It's not just a physical death of the body. And it's not just an end time spiritual death that people who reject Christ will one day receive. Although it is that. But it is also right now not being able to experience the joy that you were created to experience because your spiritual eyes are blinded and your spiritual taste buds have been burned off and you can no longer see the pleasure of God. You can no longer taste that the Lord is good. That is spiritual death. No longer being able to see the beauty of God in the face of Christ or being satisfied in his glory. So instead, we so quickly gravitate to temporary and insufficient satisfiers that ultimately blind and deafen and destroy us. So hear this, our problem is not that we love pleasure. Sometimes I think that in the church we know, we're anti-pleasure. But that is not our problem. Our problem is that we are no longer capable of true pleasure. That's our problem. Rather than drinking from the eternal well of Jesus, 
we so quickly gravitate to our own toxic wells of waste. And we call that pleasure. But in Psalm 1611, God reminds us, you, you God, have made known to me the path of life. That's what glory does, opens our eyes to the path of life. I'm on a path that's destined for for hell. Separation from God, depression, death. That's the path that I'm on. But God has opened my eyes to a new path of life. And that path looks like this. Because later that verse says this, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy, in other words, unlimited capacity of joy, as much joy as you can handle, and pleasures forevermore, as much joy as you can handle for as long as you can handle it, eternity. That's what Jesus created you for. So therefore, the problem is not that we love pleasure. The problem is that we no longer have the capacity to receive the pleasure that God created us for, And without Jesus coming into the world and opening our eyes, we are hopeless. But thank God, who is rich in mercy, and because of his great love for us, he has given us Jesus, who came as flesh, who went to the cross, who paid the death that if we paid ourselves, we would not overcome. But Jesus overcame that death victorious. And therefore, we can point to that grave and say, just as Jesus came out of that grave, so too I can come out of this situation that I'm in. And I can experience the joy of the Lord, just like Jesus, who for the, cro- who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And came through and rose victorious from the dead. And now is seated at the right hand of God. Where all of those pleasures are. That's our future. If you place your faith in Jesus. That's your future. If you walk with him. And not just your future. That's the point. That's your future today. You can begin to taste that today. Do you want to taste that today? That's why singing can be so important. Because... In times of depression that I've struggled with, right? It was singing that has helped me overcome and get back to the joy of the Lord. So, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The true light was coming into the world. And this, verse 9... The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. That solves one of our problems. Because unless Jesus comes into the world to give light, there is no light that can solve our problem. The Son of God must give light by coming into the world, by becoming flesh to die on the cross, displaying most powerfully the glory of God in His fully tested and unmatched obedience. Three things. One, why did he have to come in the flesh? Because God cannot die. So he had to put on human flesh so that human flesh could not only die, but also feel temptation and pain and loneliness. And therefore, we have a high priest who we can sympathize with and he can sympathize with us because he put on flesh and he went ultimately to the cross and humbled himself to the point of death. And his flesh died. And then 
He became the firstborn of the resurrection with the glorified body. Nobody at this point other than Jesus has a glorified body. We will get them later, but Jesus is in his glorified body. So this solves one of our problems. Okay, fully tested. In heaven, Jesus was obedient to his father, but it wasn't fully tested. It wasn't tested with pain and loneliness and temptation. When he came and put on flesh, it became tested. And he was the only one who has unmatched obedience to his father. All of us have disobeyed the father, but only Jesus. So therefore, in your, in your struggle to find joy in the Lord, right? Do not fixate on what the world is coming to. We've heard this Heard it twice in the past few weeks. Don't fixate on what the world is coming to. Rather, fixate on who is coming into the world. Right? Don't fixate on how bad the world is, but how good your heavenly Father is. But this only solves one problem if Jesus comes into the world. Because look at verse 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The world that was made by the Son did not recognize him, and his nation rejected him. And Jesus saying, though seeing they see, and though hearing they hear, they, they, though seeing they do not see, rather, and though hearing they do not hear. What was he saying? They have physical eyes, they have physical ears, they have minds that can contemplate great mysteries of the world. They're very intelligent people. And yet, they have no capacity to see the glory of God, to hear the the word of God, and to be prompted in their hearts to respond in worship to the word of God. The devil knows the word of God, and yet, he has no desire to worship the God of the word. Right? So, our second problem is, not everyone can see him. Can you see him today? This is the third truth we must know and love about the Word. The Word who is God became flesh so that I and you could see His glory and believe in His name. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Or as John says in verse 12, to those who did receive Him and believed in His name, he became, they became children of God. Therefore, do not delay today. Don't put this off. If you feel the Spirit of God moving in you, then respond to Him in worship, for tomorrow it might be too late. Jesus Himself would later say, you, I, you, are, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk, therefore, in the light before darkness overtakes you. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of the light. This is the end of John 12, and at the beginning of John 13, it says that it was time for Jesus to leave the world and go back to his Father. The world would no longer have the light, the Son of God, upon it. Which may lead you to a question. You might say, well, how am I supposed to see him and believe since he's no longer in the flesh? Which then leads us to our fourth truth. The Word, who is God, became flesh so that you and I could see his glory and believe in his name, and have life in his name, this same God is now shining his light and giving people their sight by sending his witnesses. Look at verse 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness 
to testify concerning the light. He himself was not the light, only a witness. So now, real quick, there's John the author and then this other John the witness. Two different Johns, don't get them confused. And John the author is writing and seemingly abruptly after verse 5, he pauses to write verse 6, 7, and 8. Why is this significant? In verse 5, John writes, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Why not skip right to verse 9? Light shines in the darkness, the darkness is not overcome, because the true light is coming to the world. That makes sense. But that's not the way John writes it. He puts in 6, 7, and 8. Why? And maybe because of what John the author wants us to see and understand about how God intends for his light to be shared for the next 2,000 years. This is something that at first John himself and all the apostles misunderstood. And before we misunderstand it, John writes verse 6, 7, and 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light, only a witness. So let me give you a perspective on how God intends to share the light of Jesus for you to see. Jesus Christ is not standing here in the flesh today for you to see. And according to Jesus, this baffles me. According to Jesus, this is good news. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, Jesus says. But if I go, I will send him to you. The good news is that you do not need Jesus here in the flesh for you to see him. And the terrifying news is this. If you can't see him in the worship and in the preaching of his word and in the the display of Christ lived out in his children, then you wouldn't be able to see him if he was standing here in the flesh. Before his crucifixion, Jesus said, the one who looks and sees me is seeing the one who sent me. And yet the Pharisees scoffed at him. Where is your father, they asked. And the Jews wanted to kill him for telling him about his father. The religious leaders, the Jews, the crowds, saw Jesus with their physical eyes, and yet saw no beauty and no glory in him. They said they believed in God, whom they could not see, and yet... They rejected God when he stood right in front of them in the flesh. Would this not be true for us today? And before you say, well, if I lived back in those days, I wouldn't have done what the Pharisees and the crowds did. Let me remind you that this is exactly what the Pharisees and the crowds said about their ancestors. If I lived back in those days, I would have believed if we had lived in the days of our ancestors we would not have taken part in the shedding of blood of the prophets. To which Jesus says, you snakes and brood of vipers. How will you escape from being condemned to hell? Whoever hates me hates my father as well. And if I had not done these works that no one else did, you would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have both hated me and my father. When Jesus came into the world, some saw his beauty, but many rejected his beauty. They only saw his miracles, and they hated him because they weren't interested in his beauty. They were only interested 
and what he could give them. The same is true for us today. So I ask again, can you see him? Can you see him today? Has he won your heart? Is he most precious to you? The way that Jesus reveals his glory today is through the word of God and the spirit of God being spoken and displayed and lived out through the children of God. Jesus would say, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so too I am sending you. And anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That's how the glory of God is displayed in this world. When when Jesus told the crowds that they would have him just a little while longer, the disciples must have been confused and stunned. A little while longer? I figured we'd have you for decades, not days. They didn't understand their thinking Jesus would be with them longer. But Jesus alone knew that his purpose was to come and reveal the Father and then go to the cross and die and then rise victorious over death. But even after his resurrection, they were still saying, is now the time you're going to instate the kingdom, Lord? And no one fully grasped what he meant by, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And surely no one thought that I will come back for you soon meant 2,000 years at least. And yet as John discovered, this would be how God would give light to the world, similar to a regular day and night. For when the first day dawned, in perfect light, it would soon be overcome with sin and darkness. So all throughout the night, God raised up faithful witnesses, moons, that would give light to a dark world, these prophets, until a second day dawned with the coming of the sun. And darkness fled from the light. Jesus said, believe in the light while you have the light that you might become children of the light. From the twilight hours, the Son of God ascended to heaven and God again faithfully shined his light by sending his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to indwell and to shine through his children. And there will be a day that is coming where we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. But today, we hold out the word of truth and we shine like stars in a crooked and perverse and dark generation, Philippians tells us. Oh yes, one day we will shine like the sun, but today we shine like stars. And maybe... This is why John paused for three verses. He wanted us to get this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's not the light. He came only as a witness to the light so that through him all might believe. Notice that John was not the light. Jesus is the light. And Jesus needs no help shining his light just as the sun needs no help from the moon to shine the light. And yet God in his bountiful mercy says, this is how I'm going to work. So it is not our light that makes a difference, but the light of Jesus shining through us. We just sang a song that says something to the effect of when I'm told I'm not worthy, I'm going to point to the grave, the empty tomb, right? 
But hear this, John says, John the Baptist says four more times, I am not the light, I am not the Messiah, one, I am not Elijah, two, I am not the prophet, three, and I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And what he means is, is that the only light that I have comes from Jesus. The only worthiness that I have comes from the fact that he left the tomb and he's deposited his worth in me. My worth is in him alone. And then John fades out of this gospel in chapter 3, right after he says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. And my joy is complete when I hear his voice. I must decrease and he must increase. And then the only gospel where John the Baptist's death is not recorded just kind of fades out as Jesus steps forward and takes charge. A man named Paul would echo this sentiment. As we've already said this morning, I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. The life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I am not the light, not Elijah reincarnate, not worthy, not the Messiah. I must decrease while he increases. He is the Son of God who came before me and therefore is greater than me. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All I can do as a Levite priest is atone for sin year after year, covering it up. He takes it away. That's how Jesus is. So therefore, Andrew, go leave me behind and follow Jesus as a disciple. And by the way, go get your brother Peter. For you guys are going to be filled with the Spirit and turn the world upside down. Go follow the bridegroom. You might say, well, this is good for Peter, John, James, Paul. It's good for them, but what good is it for me? Because I, though I, I'm just a simple person who has a family, and though I love my family, I find myself inadequate. Any moms in here this morning feeling a little inadequate, let me encourage you that your hope is not in your adequacy, but rather in the adequacy of Christ. Let me briefly share this. In the next chapter, do you remember where Jesus turns water into wine and he goes, the master of ceremonies, not knowing what had happened, goes to the bridegroom and says, man, this is awesome. Most people serve the good wine first and then they put out the bad wine. But you have saved the best until last. It tells us two things. One, the master of ceremonies indicates that it was the bridegroom's responsibility to provide the wine. And yet, the point is this. It was not the bridegroom. It was not the bridegroom who provided anything. Matter of fact, the bridegroom ran out and was about to make a fool of himself and bring dishonor upon his family until Jesus steps forward. And the whole point of this is to say, you are inadequate, but there is a bridegroom who is more than adequate, and if you place your faith in him where you fall short, he will step forward, and he will be your all in all. This is massive hope for me. 23 years I've been married, 24 years I've been dating this girl over here. 
For 24 years I've desperately tried to be adequate and yet I fall short time and time again. And as we had children, I poured my energy and time, but how much patience do you have? Does it ever run out? Mine did. And I found myself falling short and running dry. And yet, my hope is not in my adequacy. My hope is in the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who never runs out. And in him, I place my trust. For it was this bridegroom where the first bridegroom fell short. It was this bridegroom who came forward. And he was what the other bridegroom could not be. Therefore, I with Paul will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. For when I am weak, Christ's power is strong within me. Not only does Christ provide the difference where I fall short, but Christ alone has done it all, leaving nothing for me to do except fully depend upon him by faith. When Jesus says, it is finished, what he was saying is self-reliance and ritualistic purity measures and means are over and he alone is finishing the work that we could not do. And to that, John the Baptist would say, therefore, do not look at me. And I would say, do not look at me, but rather look to Christ. So I invite you as we close, look to Christ today. Don't look to me. Don't look to the pastor. Don't look to your family. Look to Christ alone. Do you see him today? The word who is God and who became flesh so that we could see his glory and become children of light. So as we close, I want to open up these altars for you to respond to Jesus and say, there's something churning in my heart and I want to see Jesus. I want to feel Jesus. I want to experience Jesus. I want to be a child of his light. So as I close with a song that you hopefully will know and can sing with me, I invite you to come forward to these altars and seek the Lord. And if you want prayer, then we would be happy to pray with you. <clears throat> the song goes like this as we close. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. One more time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Father, we're thankful for your grace. And we're thankful that Jesus came that we might see 
your glory, Philip said. Show us the Father. He was echoing Moses. Show me your glory. And Jesus, you said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. You alone are glorious, Lord. Make it so that our hearts desire you. Break the hold of sin that would deceive us into thinking that this world has anything to offer us, to please us. You alone have eternal pleasure. So Lord, may we drink from you. And Lord, may you pour out this drink through us that we might be your witnesses to this world, offering the water that we so mercifully have received ourselves. We love you, Jesus. Amen.